Hi, I'm Kara, daughter of the king, wife to Mitchell, mama to three of the coolest kids, and chaser of the sun. For as long as I can remember, I've been fascinated by the hearts and stories of people, not just what appears on the highlight reel, but the raw, unfiltered, and unguarded narratives that aren't always shared so boldly. It has been such a gift to be an ear, a shoulder, and a sounding board for those going through unyielding obstacles and to be able to love them through it. That, to me, is paradise. Welcome to a slice of paradise. I'm so glad you're here. All right, so we're here, episode one of A Slice of Paradise, and we have my dad on with us today. And dad chose his slice to be, what's your slice, dad? Bread pudding. And why did you choose bread pudding as your slice? I, I have recollections of my grandmother making bread pudding. She, uh, she made yeast rolls almost every day, biscuits every day. So there was always an abundance of bread and she didn't waste anything. So, so she, there was a lot of bread pudding that she made. And uh, that's some of the memories that I have is eating bread pudding at her house. So if there were leftover rolls and biscuits, she would most likely throw them into a bread pudding. Put them in a bread pudding. For y'all to have at night. Mm. Okay, so for everyone to know, the episode, each time we record an episode, we're going to have the listener choose their favorite slice of something. And it could be anything that can be sliced, really. I mean, watermelon can be sliced. Pizza is in a slice. Brisket is in a slice. Any type of cake, of course, is, comes in a slice. So we are going to have the listener tell us what their favorite slice is. And then Mitchell, my husband, is going to make that slice. And so right now we're eating bread pudding that Mitchell made. And he made it from donuts from the donut shop this morning. And it's pretty dang good. You like it, Dad? It has a lot more in it than just uh, bread. It has, uh, it looks like uh, maybe apples, nuts. It's pretty good. Really tasty. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I've ever eaten bread pudding. It's good. Now that I have it all in my mouth. Okay, so I hope you enjoy your cup of coffee because we know that we can't invite you over to our house without having a pot of coffee. And we definitely can't feed you dessert without having a pot of coffee. So we're going to eat bread pudding and drink coffee. But, okay, so when Dad agreed to come on this podcast with me. I asked him to be the first one because A, I'm insanely nervous and he makes me comfortable. And B, we kind of match each other. I'm sure my humor comes from dad because no one says smart ass quite like dad. <laughs> he taught me to have sarcasm as my primary language. Sarcasm is a form of humor. It is, and it's, I think it's our primary language in this family. We do it better than English sometimes. Um, so I gave Dad a prompt to kind of come up with what he wants to talk about, and this is maybe the prompt throughout this whole podcast and what we'll hear continuously throughout the listeners, but I really want to know the way that God showed up in your life through hardships, and so maybe... In this episode, it might look like you had a certain plan for your life and God said, no, that's not my plan or not my timing or not my ways. And it ended up being infinitely better than you could have imagined in all the ways. And differently for different people that are interviewed here, but I'm excited to hear about the ways that you've seen God show up and kind of take control when your control wasn't doing the job. So when do you feel like, when, where do you want to start this story? Well, you know, uh, I feel like God was in my life even before I knew who God was. You know, uh, 
I grew up on a on a dairy, you know, and and uh, when you uh, when you grow up knee deep in cow manure for most of your life and isolated from pretty much civilization because the, a dairy runs seven days a week and uh, it starts early in the morning and it runs late into the night and so there is uh, there's not much time for social interaction other than with your immediate family. <clears throat> uh, my dad was not a Christian at that time. And uh, we didn't attend church just because it was, a, it was not a convenient thing because uh, when church was going on on Sunday morning, we were in the middle of the morning milking. And but my mother was a Christian, had been a Christian since she was a child. And she taught us about God at home. But uh, as far as commitment, I had not made a commitment until in, uh, the only the only social interaction that we had was after between milking on Sunday morning and uh, and milking Sunday night, we would uh, we would go have spend a, a couple of hours with my grandmother and sometimes when school was out we would stay a week we would go from Sunday to Sunday and when we did that was the only opportunity that I had to go to church other than uh, occasionally the some people from the McClanahan church would come and uh, pick us up and take us to church to Sunday school in McClanahan, but uh, my grandmother was instrumental. She was the one who made the, the bread pudding. And uh, we will refer to her as Little Granny. Yes, yeah, she was Little Granny. She weighed about 80 pounds. And so, you tell us when you decided, or not you, you didn't decide, but at well, as uh, in the 60s. In the early 60s, uh, there were so many dairies around until milk got so cheap, until there wasn't much money in dairies. We didn't own the dairy that we worked on. Uh, it was owned by another man. And it got to the point where he was more profitable for him to sell out and sell the land than what I sell milk. So that uh, forced my dad to go to work in the lumberyard that this, that this, this man also owned. And uh, it brought us back home. It brought us back to Robinson County, where my grandmother was. So uh, we moved on to one end of my granddad's place. And uh, dad bought an old house, and we had it moved in and, and kind of remodeled it as we were living in it. And, and uh, I started attending the church with my grandmother at the church where my grandmother went. Uh, when I was about 15, that was when I was about 13 years old, it was in 1963. And uh, by the time I was 15, I was, had come under conviction that uh, I'd gone through a period where I was, uh, I'm going to get, I'm going I'm to be good enough. Mm -hmm. Well, you, you can't be, you can't be good enough to live up to God's standards. Not on your own. Not on your own. And uh, surrendering is a big part of it. You've got to you've got to die to yourself, mm -hmm. which means that yeah, I'm no longer going to run my life. Which, from my perspective, we give up the the reins, the control of the reins on timing on sequence, on big things, small things, you have to give that up and have insane amounts of faith. And God has a plan for every, every life. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, uh, it's a whole lot better plan than anything that we could dream up on our own. And uh, it just, uh, but it, it's a surrendering. It's a surrendering to his will and not yours. 
and uh, it's kind of a hard matter to do that. You know, if you if you uh, if you look at salvation and eternal life from a from a immortal uh, position, it's 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 uh, it's hard to believe. It's as a matter of fact, it's almost impossible to believe. But once you surrender and uh, you accept Christ and you start to live in obedience to the will of God, then it, uh, it becomes evident that it's all true, that this is real and God is working. God does have a plan in your life. And, uh, but it does require becoming humble and surrendering your will to, to his will. And it's, it's a daily thing because uh, it's a human nature to want to take back hold again mm-hmm. and, uh, and say, I got this. I can run this. So what was happening in your life at the time where you did come under conviction and you did feel? Well, I, uh, you know, fear is a conviction. And I was under a... Uh, a pastor at that time that was uh, he didn't mind describing hell to you and what uh, life separated from God would be like mm-hmm. and uh, I didn't want that and you know fear is a motivator but it's, it's, it's a lot like your family you know when you grow up and my relationship with my dad was, was that that uh, I feared him, you know. I, I felt like that uh, that he he could take me out of this world at any point, and uh, no questions asked. And he had the authority to do that. And uh, uh, you can call that fear. Mm-hmm. And uh, but as I grew older, uh, fear turned to respect, and respect turned to love, and. And that's pretty much the way it is with God. I think the fear is still there, but it's a different kind of fear. It's a healthy fear. That's right. It's a. It's more or less, you know, when, when the Bible also refers a lot to uh, Israel, his relationship is to a father and a son. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot of similarities to that. And, and the same with the, with the obedience. Uh, a father would uh, hold it rather a son obey him because he respected and loved him mm-hmm. rather than because he was forced to. And God is the same way with us. He... Uh, he only chastises us when we uh, when we're out of out of his will. Right. And it's a it's a loving chastisement, just like it is with with the father and his son. It's it's a it's to bring him back into the fold, rather than to be mean or or ugly to him. And uh, that's a lot that way. And in in uh, about sixty. I guess must have been 65 or 66, probably 66. In the fall of 66, I, uh, I'd made that, that commitment that uh, I, I realized that I wasn't ever going to be good enough to be perfect in, in the sight of God and, and to be accepted. And that Christ dying on the cross to pay for my sins was the only way that I was going to have fellowship with God. Mm-hmm. Because God can look on sin. He can't, uh, he can't be a part of sin. So the only way that he can have a relationship with a sinful man is to, when he looks at us, he sees the blood of his son.
That's the only way we're still here. <clears throat> That's the only way we still wake up with mercies new every morning. So in about, uh, like I said, about 66, I was, uh, I, I surrendered to the will of God and uh, my old pastor was about, uh, gosh, she's probably as old as I am now. And uh, it was in November. Hang on, did you think he was old then? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Just checking. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> He, uh, he said to us, I, I think he kind of wanted to wait for the baptism because in our church, we didn't have a baptistry. We, uh, we baptized in the uh, area stock tanks out in the, out in the pasture. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't think he was looking forward to braving that, that cold water in November with probably his arthritis and all the things and ailment that he had. But he asked me if I wanted to wait until spring, and uh, I told him by all my knowing that I didn't want to wait until spring. I wanted to do it now. And uh, so I was baptized in November in the stock tank. It was cold. I can it imagine. Was a, it was a cloudy, windy day, and it was cold. And uh, the water was cold, but the air when you came out was even colder. <laughs> <laughs> But you got it done. But yeah, and it was it wasn't clean water, but it, it was clean enough to wash away sin. Right. Doesn't have to be clean at all. So you were how old when this happened? I was uh, probably sixteen. Sixteen. And at seventeen you graduated high school. Yeah, I uh, when I was seventeen, uh, I was actually dating your mother. I was going to say, at what point did you and mom start dating? I was actually dating your mother uh, about the same time. We started dating about the same time that I, that I accepted the prize. Well, that was timely. And uh, When you're dating a woman who was raised in church. Yeah, and she was a, gosh, she was, she's been a Christian since she was a little bitty thing. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but... Uh, that's another thing, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful thing to have a soulmate that you can, uh, when you're down, you can, you can discuss it with them and they understand where you are and, you know, and uh, they can encourage you, you know, through the spirit. Biblically. And, uh, and you vice versa the same way, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a good thing. <clears throat> so you and mom started dating about the same time and then it was time for graduation and you yeah we've been going together a, a, a year I guess or a year and a half when, uh -huh. we, when we graduated high school before I graduated at the time Vietnam was hot and uh, they'd already lost 20-30,000 people over there young guys and uh, my neighbor that lived across the street from my senior year when we lived in Tassie. And uh, he was killed in Vietnam. And uh, I didn't feel like that was the hill I wanted to die on. Mm -hmm. So, but you know, the, the thing about your obligation to serve was, was, uh, was not a question. You did. I mean, there were some people that were going into Canada that uh, were, were dodging the draft. But I didn't want to be in that number either. Right. So I uh, I joined the National Guard, which is a, a state side. Uh, there, you you have a six year obligation, and you don't you, you spend a, about a year in training, and then you come home, and then you do drills every month for for approximately six years, and you do your obligation. And, uh, but you are, you're still obligated if they call you up, if you go after you. But you were able to live at home through that six years? To live at home and uh, 
matter of fact, uh, we married, Becky and I married during that time, and we spent, you know, we, uh, my unit was here at home, and yet we weren't living here. We were living down close, close to Houston. Mm -hmm. But uh, we came, we'd come home, and she'd spend the weekend with her parents while I was at drill, mm -hmm. and uh, gave her an opportunity to come visit her parents. And uh, we did the obligation that way, and it was, uh, I, uh, you, back then, back in those days, you had a lottery, and uh, if you were above 365, which is the number of days in a year, then you were pretty safe that you weren't going to go in your numbers. But my number came out number 12, so I was surely gone, and I was already, I was already in the enlisted in the Texas National Guard before I even got out of high school. I was making drills before I got it out of high school with the obligation to do the training starting about the of August and of that year. And uh, when my birthday and lottery came out in the, in, in the end of August, then I was, uh, I'd already been on active duty for about a month. And so uh, at the time, Becky graduated the same year that I did, and she was in college at Sam Houston, and uh, I was in Augusta, Georgia, in basic training. And we had about uh, almost eight months of, eight or nine months that we were uh, apart, mm -hmm. which we, they gave us, uh, they gave us an opportunity to make phone calls on Sunday afternoon, and that was our only contact. And, uh, during that time, I'd kind of gotten away from God because, uh, you know, there was uh, not a good opportunity to be fed every week like you right. know you should be as a new Christian. And so by the time I got out of the service, that I was, uh, I'd somewhat drifted away. And But uh, not long after that, uh, we married in, in uh, 1973. And when I was... Uh, I guess I've been back. We dated a long time though, gosh. We, I think I think it was six years, right? Six years. Yeah. yeah. But a lot of that time was separated too. And, uh, but uh, that was a strange deal too. I, I went and talked to her dad and asked her if, he, if we could get married. And he said, uh, yeah, but you know, uh, she's in school and uh, I'll pay for her college as long as She's not married, but once you're once you're married, then uh, it's your obligation to pay for college. And I said, I think I'll wait. <laughs> I think we can. I think we can wait. I can imagine. And I'm sure. I mean, college is like crazy expensive now, but can you? I bet it was expensive then too. Yeah, it's it, all. Yeah. yeah. When you put it in perspective. Your yeah, dollar was a lot bigger then. Yeah. But still, not something that you're interested in doing as a. No, no. It, uh, as a matter of fact, I uh, I was uh, I had a job making. Uh, I think I was making a hundred dollars a week, and uh, I thought, gosh, if I can make this kind of money, we got it. <laughs> so, did you end up getting married after Mom graduated? Yes. Yeah, okay. we married. We married. Uh, she uh, she graduated in May and we uh, we married in July. Mm -hmm. Okay. Seventy three. But it just started then, and uh, we uh, we moved. We moved out in Dayton. She got a job teaching uh, in Dayton, and uh, I told her that you know uh, I really didn't have a profession. Other than equipment operator, and uh, I said I can find a construction company anywhere to work for, and so we just go where you where you can get a job. So we did, and uh, I went to work for Liberty County, running a load grader, dozer, trucks, whatever they did, and I I worked there for about five years, and. Uh, 
I'd gotten to the top of the pay scale and I went to the commissioner and told him that I, you know, I needed, uh, we were wanting to buy a house and uh, I needed a, a raise if it was possible. And he said, well, you're, to, you're already at the top of the, of the pay scale. And uh, I said, well, consider this my notice. I don't, uh, it's something that I feel like we've got to do. And, uh, I'll just, uh, when I find a job, I'll, I'll still give you uh, as much notice as I can give you, but I said, I, I'm, I'm going to be looking. Mm -hmm. And we had a real good relationship with a godly man, and uh, he understood where I was. And uh, so uh, I started flying around and took, uh, at the refineries in Bay Town, and, and uh, you know, I, I pray about, you know, what I, what decision I should make. And of course, my dad was, uh, he's always really ultra conservative. And he's, you know, you, boy, you better stay where you're at. You, you know, you got that job, it's a good job. And, and uh, but you know, I needed, I needed to make a little more money than I was making. And uh, so we prayed about it and, and, uh, Becky told some uh, people at work, the secretary at works, uh, husband was the superintendent for Brown and Root in Houston. And uh, he called me and said, well, we're really needing some, uh, we're needing some hands. He said, do you know anything about mechanics? I said, well, not, not a whole lot. I work on my own stuff, but I don't, I'm not a mechanic. He said, well, we're needing, uh, you can start out as a helper. He said, I'll tell you what you can, I was making uh, 375, I think, $3.75 cents an hour. And for the county, he said, well, I can uh, start you out as a third class mechanic with no tools. I can start you out at $5. Or uh, if, you, if you've got your tools, if you've got a set of tools, I can start you out at six and a half. And in uh, second class, and I said, "Well, Lee, I uh, and I knew him. I knew the man well. I said, uh, Lee, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking about going to work for Exxon. And uh, he said, "Well, change your mind, give me a call." And uh, I said, "Yes, sir, I will." And uh, so I hung up the phone and I sat there a minute and I said. I don't want to work in a refinery. Mm -mm. Uh, I would rather work in a, a shop, and, you know, an equipment shop than work in a refinery anytime. So I got on the phone, I called him back. I said, Lee, I think I'm going to pick you up. I said, uh, you said 650 tools? He said, yeah, that's what I said. I said, okay. He said, uh, you want me to pick you up in the morning? And uh, I said, yes, sir, if you don't mind. He said, you can ride to work with me as long as you need to. And uh, so I went to Sears that night and bought a set of tools. Oh, my gosh. Daddy didn't even have tools. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's funny. I went, I went and bought a, a set of tools. Off to work we went. <laughs> I worked for uh, I worked for Brown and Root for five and a half years in uh we were we were home visiting one weekend and uh, it was we we adopted our first child in 1981 and uh, the parents uh, were, you know they were they were new grandparents and they they wanted to be around their grandson and and uh, so we were we were on the way back home and and you know we both. Uh, Decided that you know, you know, we ought to get a little closer to home, closer to parents. We don't get to see them that often, and they, they want to see Clint. And, and uh, so we, uh, well, we, we determined. Well, you know what? We're not the kind of people that are going to just drag up and go on a whim. You know, God is going to have to show us the way. Mm -hmm. And so we prayed about that, and. 
went to work the very next morning. And uh, the phone rang, and I was uh, at that point, I'd been around a really while, and I'd, I'd uh, progressed all the way through the range of rank with mechanic. And uh, I was uh, the next step up, which was an inspector. We were, our job was to, when one of our pieces of equipment came in off the job, we went right in to the shop, and we went all through it. And, determined that it's all of its faults. And we made a work order and we made an estimate as to what it's going to cost to repair it and uh, priced out all the parts and and uh, before it went to the shop and we were we were called pre-inspectors and then uh, we also at the end of the at the end of the line we were post inspectors. So when the job was finished in the shop and the equipment came back to us, we take it up to a test yard and we'd run the equipment and determine if all of those things that were were uh, written up were fixed and it was ready to go back to job line, red tag on it and hang it in the yard and uh, it went back to to dispatch and it went back to the job. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, were, we were sitting in the office one morning, the phone rang and we were all sitting around doing estimates and, and uh, my my boss said, uh, uh, Charlie Brandon's on the phone, and he was a graduate of TSDC and White Collar TSDI at that time. And uh, he uh, his old department chair was Charlie Brandon, and he said Charlie Brandon's on the phone, and he wants to know if uh, if we have anybody down here that'd like to teach diesel mechanic. And uh, I said, and it was in Waco, Texas. I said, yeah, I would. So uh, he gave him my name and set up a time to go interview. And I fill out, went up and filled out an application. It was one day deal. He, uh, he hired me on the spot. An hour from home. Hmm? An hour from home. Yeah, an hour from, from my uh, parents and grandparents. And uh, so that was in, uh, in January of 1984. And uh, we had uh, we'd not had children because uh, we'd been through all the fertility tests and, mm -hmm. and uh, that was pretty much told us here. We'd already adopted and pretty much told us that we wouldn't have children. And uh, so we'd... Uh, We'd pray for children with tears in our eyes for years. And uh, from 73 to 84. So we were, we were off to Waco. And we were, uh, we, that was in January. By February 1st, we were loading the trucks. Had our house up for sale. And uh, we were moving to Waco. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, so we got to Waco and uh, Becky says, uh, I think I'm pregnant. I said, <laughs> I, uh, I don't know, I kind of felt like Abraham. You know, when they were having yeah. crying all that time. It, this can't be real. And all the praying, you know, we'd, we'd already resigned ourselves, you know, but uh, we weren't going to have children. Yeah. And, uh, You know, and uh, we uh, did a little, that's when the EPT was first mm -hmm. came out. And uh, she uh, she did one of those things. And, uh, and now that, that's a bunch of garbage. That stuff don't work. <laughs> so, well, I've got an appointment with a doctor. And uh, when she had the appointment, confirmed it. Oh, my gosh. What a miracle. What a deal. Charlotte was born. And we named her Celeste. Charlotte, Charlotte Celeste. Celeste. So that was three years, right? Clint was in 81. She was in 84. Was in a, we got Clint in 81. Mm-hmm. 
you know, God answered another prayer. Again. He had, uh, he sent us home because that was, that was his plan. And, uh, we, uh, we were there for 12 years. We, uh, we uh, lived on campus until we sold our house in Dayton, and then we, uh, once we got a little money in our pockets, we went out and put a down payment on a house in Lorena. And uh, worked diligently, and God provided. And eight years later, we 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 paid it off. We paid it, and we were sitting on sitting in a house, no house payments. And made it what you wanted it to be within driving yeah. distance of work. And yeah, and, uh, during that time, we uh, we were uh, about deciding that you know if we uh, if we're going to have another child, we better have it soon, or we're getting too old. Mm -hmm. And uh, if we're getting to the point where if we don't want one, we better start doing something to stop it. Uh -huh. And uh, we just kind of rocked them. And then Kara surprised us. And, uh, and the earth shaked yeah. and rumbled. She's not a bad top crop. <laughs> they saved the best for last. But we had the house in, in Lorena pay for and uh, the kids were in school and and everybody but Kara, and Kara was a little, little fella. And uh, our parents were getting old at home and uh, needing some help. And uh, so we just, we prayed about it and decided that, you know, we probably ought to be home and get ourselves settled in so that we can take care of our parents when they need us and get, uh, Right next, you know, close enough. An hour away is is handy, but it's not it's not a daily thing that you can take care of. So, and I wanted a place, you know. I'd uh, I'd spent, you know, when you're when you're growing up on a farm and you're going through all the sweat and dirt and things that it takes to keep a farm running, and and uh, you can't wait to get off the farm and start your life. Mm -hmm. And from the time that I left the farm, I was trying to, was wanting to get back. Get back to the farm. And that was my, that was my, my dream was to have my own place. And so uh, there was a family owned land and uh, we wanted to, we wanted to move on the family place, but it just, uh, it was in an undivided estate. It was inherited land and it would just, it wouldn't settle up. For us to uh, for us to build on, so there was a place down the road from from that place that we uh, we looked at. It was way more land than we wanted, way more money than we wanted to spend. We'd we'd uh, we'd been paid off. Our house had been paid off. We hadn't been making house payments, and we didn't want to go back in debt again. And we were. We were hoping that we could sell the house in Lorena and move directly to another house, build another house, move in and be debt free again. Mm -hmm. And uh, but the the lady who owned this land just wouldn't split it up. She there was 193 acres and she wanted to sell it off. And so finally, uh, and it was she wanted like a quarter million dollars. You know, and a quarter million dollars don't sound like that much anymore, but back then that was a hunk of money. And uh, that was in what, 95? Uh, 1995. Yeah, 95. Mm -hmm. And uh, so here we are, we're praying about it again because this thing just didn't, didn't work out. I mean, and, you know, we're trying to make it happen and trying to move on to the family land, it just ain't happening. And, you know, it's, uh, that's always been my thing. It, you know, how do you know God's will for your life? You, you, uh, 
you pray for open doors. Mm -hmm. And if they're closed, you don't kick them. Yeah. And you you roll and you allow God his time because it all works in his time. And so uh, this place was for sale and, and uh, I sat down with a pencil and paper and I said, okay, it's this many acres, it's just got this many acres of cleared land, it's got this many acres of wooded land, it's got this barn, it's got this house, it's got this barn, it's got this shop, it's got, and I put a dollar figure on everything. And it was considerably thousands, tens of thousands of dollars less than what they were asking. And I said, she ain't gonna go for this. So I did anyway. You offered her what, the number you had come up with? I offered her the number that I had come up with. Based on the value. Based on what I thought the value was. And uh, she took it. Okay, so now we got to get financing. <laughs> so uh, we went to the bank and we, uh, well, you know, you got to get this thing appraised first. So the appraiser came out and uh, he stood in the driveway and he said, uh, what are you paying for this place? I said, uh, 214000 Hmm. Okay. So he got in the truck and he drove off. And when we got to the bank, the appraisal came in at $214,000. <laughs> uh, so uh, I guess that uh, that uh, verifies that the uh, value is established by the buyer and the seller. Right. And uh, so uh, here we are. And uh, we're moving from Lorena, and I and, uh, I built a shop in, at the house in Lorena, and uh, and I had uh, built some partition shelves to put small items in, and I was really, really grieving about, you know, is this really what God wanted me? I've never owned that much money in my life, and the stress was bearing on me. And uh, I was putting things away in the shop and I had unloaded those little partitions that I had built in Lorena. And uh, there were some shelves in the, in the shop. And uh, I took those partition shelves and they fit perfectly in the shelf that, that was already there. Mm -hmm. And from that point on, I had uh, gotten a peace that I had done the right thing, that that was God's way of showing me. And I never questioned, again, uh, the, and it was, it was difficult paying it off. I mean, it was, uh, you know, when you're, uh, those, those house payments and large payments, when you're trying to pay off $200,000 at a thousand a month, it seems like you're never getting there. I feel it. I but, feel it right now. I'm standing here today <laughs> saying it's paid off. And, uh, and you raised your kids and more kids and yeah, got yeah. everybody out while still paying that. Yeah, and we've, uh, we've raised uh, two, sets of, two sets of kids and, and uh, it's paid off. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, my two daughters live on the place, on the very place that we're, where we're sitting right now. Yeah, we're sitting here right now on those 193 acres. And, uh, it's just, uh, it's amazing. And you know, the, the hill that on the place that we wanted to build about, uh, Six or seven years ago, we had terrible drought, and all those beautiful oak trees that are on top of that hill that we wanted to build under mm -hmm. are all dead and fallen. And since then, that land has divided up, and we got that very piece of land. That was our portion. That was my wife's portion of that land. And uh, so everything that we wanted happened but it happened in God's time. Mm -hmm. Had we forced the issue, 
and done something anyway. When you see if we'd have built on that hill, would have been surrounded by dead trees. Yeah. There's limbs falling on the house and in the yard, and and uh, it would have been a mess. But uh, God's God's plan is a whole lot better than anything we can come up with to, on our own. I saw something the other day, and it said, um, "What God has for you will come in clarity, not confusion." That's right. That's right. And uh, my advice to anyone. Uh, first off, if you you've got to want to be in God's will, you've got to you if your your extreme desire is to be in God's will, mm -hmm. and uh, there's no better there's no better satisfaction in the world than to than to uh, be sitting dead center in God's will. There's no feeling. I I've never felt another feeling like it when I know I can see things lining up in my future. And I know, oh my gosh, I couldn't have dreamed up this. And this feeling is unlike a feeling I've ever felt on any other day of my life. And but, another thing, there's situations that have happened, you know, back in early when Becky and I were trying so hard to have children. It, uh, and we prayed for children. <clears throat> God answered that prayer. As a matter of fact, uh, we just, our, our, our last kids graduated from college, from high school last night. Yesterday. And uh, it's been 41 years that we've had kids in our house. After being told you'd never have kids. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> Bless your heart, Dad. But. So be careful what you pray for. Right, exactly. You might never get rid of them. And we're now we're all up, up your butt on your own land. Yeah. We're all back. And our kids are now running back and forth between the four houses on this land. And we've got our own little compound over here. Yeah, I've always said if you, uh, if you want your grandkids close by, give your kids some land. Hey, it worked. <laughs> Down payment on a house. <coughs> well... I love seeing how, even when I just reflect on my portion of this, the 30 years I've been alive, I can definitely see how God has uh, aligned the stars for you and mom in a different way than you could have ever expected. Um, brought you through major valleys and over huge mountains. Um, I think we as a family have so much to be thankful for. and. Personally, and I know Charlotte feels the same, we have the outlook that we do on life because of the way that you and mom raised us and the way that you continued to be, you continued to direct us back to the word. You continued to allow us to spiritually grow and ask our questions. You know, being in the faith sometimes generates tough questions, but you and mom never strayed from answering them and encouraging us to ask them so that our understanding would be better. There's, there's going to be times where there's, there's the only answer that we have, the answers to some of the questions that we have are only going to be answered in heaven. True. When we get to a place where we can see the picture that God sees. And, uh, and our finite minds can't even determine what that might be. But, you know, that's part of the faith thing. And, uh, you know, the Bible says my people will be live, will live by faith, mm -hmm. will walk by faith. And that's what that means. Yeah. Well, y'all definitely have lived and walked by faith and I can't thank you enough for the raising you've given us. And now my kids get to be up in your lap and hear the same things that you and mom got to tell us just in a much more grandfatherly way than you told me and Charlotte. Um, but it's been such a gift to hear the stories that you've shared. 
Um, I, I knew some of them. I didn't know all of them. Um, but it's been so fun to listen to them. If you had to tell your 20-year-old self something, and we can close on this, but if you had to tell your 20-year-old self something, what would you tell him? There's a, there's a scripture in Jeremiah that says, uh, let the strong man not boast in his strength or let the wise man be boast in his wisdom. But uh, I will boast that I know the Lord. Mm -hmm. And that's what I can do walk with God, you know, it just uh, make that commitment to live by faith and live in his will. And, uh, and you'll learn, and like I said before, it, uh, uh, God can send you to hell, but you don't really, God's not sending you to hell, you're, you're making a choice to go to hell. Right. And you have that ability to choose which, which way you're going to spend eternity. Mm -hmm. Make that choice to, to make the commitment to live in God's will and, and have faith in him and your life will be abundant on this earth and hereafter. Man, I wish I would have. I mean, I did know that at age 20, but that scripture really brings it back, though, to not boast about wisdom or the strength when we're so not wise and so weak in our minds daily, but to know God is to know everything and to, to be with God is to have everything. And I, you are a picture of that to me. If I, if I had to choose anyone in this world who I would want to model my faith after, it would be you and mom because of how centered you are, how important you make that part of your daily life. It's not me, it's God. I know. I know. But you are intentional about it. You're intentional about the way you speak to people, the attitude you have towards people, your helpful nature. You're constantly looking for opportunities to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And it shows. And that's why you, your phone never stops ringing. We had to put it on Do Not Disturb just for this because who knows who will call with a request to fix something because everyone knows that Dennis and Becky will do it. And I know sometimes that can be tiring, but you also love it because that is your opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus to those around you. And we all love it too because you're our first call <laughs> when the toilet breaks or the washing machine won't turn on or something but okay well thanks for coming on I have no idea where this will go but I'm definitely blessed by the last 52 minutes I hope you are too thank you thanks dad